Uh, we're so glad that you're with us today. Thank you guys for being here. And everybody online, thank you guys for being here as well. You know, this week we had some excitement around the office when we heard that the rules are changing over COVID. I was like, yes, finally. Uh, and they didn't change much for the church. And I want to talk about that. When uh, T and I lived in Coeur d'Alene 14 years ago, uh, we lived in Coeur d'Alene and they'd have the Iron Man. And we would go down there. It, the funnest part about the Iron Man is going from nine at night until midnight. That's when the, the people who aren't pros finish. And it, it is, I mean, it is so exhilarating to watch a person who's coming. There's this big line of people, like the, it's the, the end of the race, and you could see the finish line, the announcers announcing, and, and you know, he's coming down the deal. He's just, he's just, I mean, he's just finishing the marathon part. He's just coming in. He's like, Matt Morgan, you are an Iron Man. And everybody goes, yeah. It just feels so good. I never did that. I would like to do that. But I, I got to say, uh, this has been a marathon. And, and I say that because everyone's got their opinion about this. And I get that because I, I actually, depending on the day you catch me, I could go on either side of this thing, right? Wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. And uh, because my health is not really in danger of it, I, I don't worry about it. But as we prayed about this as a board uh, and as a staff, we just like, okay, God, give us scripture. And the, the scripture the Lord laid on our heart was, if anyone wants to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Other passages of scripture came to mind where Jesus said, if, if somebody wants you to go one mile with them, go two. If somebody wants your, your cloak, give them your tunic as well. If somebody hits you on one side of the face, turn, let them hit you on the other. Uh, Jesus also went to the cross. He was real big on serving and, and concessions. And so we decided we're going to do this thing. And it's been difficult because, you know, we, have, we love all people on both sides of this thing. Well, here's where we're at. They said that it, in a business, if you were to go to, maybe you went to Lowe's this week, and uh, I don't know if they changed the rules at Lowe's or not, but if, if, you, if they want to, a business can say you don't have to wear a mask anymore so long as you're vaccinated, fully vaccinated. And they get to decide whether or not, the person gets to decide whether or not they are that. They don't have to go up and ask them. They don't have to give them, you know, ask for a card. But that's a business decision that, that every business can make. However, in the church or at a big public sporting event or big concert, you have to have what's called a vaccinated section. And so the vaxxers can be in their section with their mask off, but in the crowd, they couldn't. They'd have to still walk around buildings or whatever with their mask on. And as we talked about it, we we're like, you know, Nobody liked the idea of we're going to have the vaxxers and the non-vaxxers. That's a whole nother issue. That's like bringing out this issue again. And so we decided, hey, we're going to stay the course. And the way the state of Washington stuff that, read, that reads is, and we have a person who reads these all week long. She's our environmentalist and she keeps us compliant. The way it reads is once 70% of the people are vaccinated, they will open the state or by June 30th. So... June 30th is going to be the latest of this stuff, but if they get it sooner, they will open it. And the numbers are dropping drastically, which is great. So they might even do it sooner. But we're going to stay the course because we didn't want to have to do the separation thing. We also didn't want our children who are under uh, 16 to feel uncomfortable. And I guess now it's under 12 that you, they can almost there on the vaccination. So we're not going to take a stand on vaccines. 
Okay, you want one? Get one. If you don't want one, your business. Uh, manage your health how you want to manage your health, and I mean that 100%. So that's what's going on there. We also decided that we are going to celebrate our volunteers around here a lot better. And what we're going to do is once a month, we want to we recognize an all-star volunteer. And the reality is all of you who volunteer are all-stars. Like, you're amazing. And we can't, like, do that for everybody because there's literally over 100 of you. And so we thought, well, what we can do for everyone, we can do for at least one. And this month, we're going to start with two. We have two dads who have middle school children, and they decided during the, the switch of youth pastors, they're like, we're going to make the middle school service so much fun for our kids on Sunday morning. We're going to get a really great curriculum. We're going to put games together. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. And they made our middle school thing just awesome. They are still leading it. They serve in other areas of the church, and they are our all-star volunteers of the month, and that is Jeremy Sukon. Here's a picture of Jeremy. Give Jeremy a huge hand. Come on. And yeah, come on. And Matt Ferguson. Give Matt a huge hand. There we go. So many of you serve. We, we have a a meeting before the services and, and pray. And it's just amazing to me every week to see all the volunteers that are here. And we're giving them some gear. And if you win the all-star volunteer, there's a sweater that says you're an all-star. And uh, they, they decided to go with that one. And then there's a coffee mug that also goes with this thing. And if you get the coffee mug for a whole month, you show up anytime you want, get a latte. As long as that thing's open, you can get it on us. So, man, congratulations to those guys. And we hope that to all of you get to volunteer because it's a great way to connect with people around here. We are going to finish a series that we started on Easter today. And I'm so excited to finish this one. Because we've been talking about difficult things. And so difficult things can be very uncomfortable, right? And we, we started on Easter this idea of true north. Jesus is our true north. Jesus is the one who gives us direction in life and our bearings. And so we've talked about some really you know, sensitive stuff, the racial issues. We've talked about um, sexual orientation or gender orientation and, and, and um, sexual identity. And so we've talked about some really tough stuff. Today I'm going to talk about one that is not hard for me to talk about because God has taught me so much in this area and I'm so thankful for what God has taught me as well as some really trusted friends. And I love this, this because God actually wants all of us to have more of what we're going to talk about today. And I love that he actually wants us to have more, but it is an uncomfortable subject. So you're going to have to hold on to yourself there. Just kind of, okay, we're going to be, make it through this one. I'm going to talk about managing money. And I, oh boy, just like that just hit like a lead bull. Yeah, boom. Yeah, it just didn't work. Money is a wonderful thing. God wants you to have more money, by the way. And we're going to look at that in Scripture. In fact, it's one of the things that He really watches in our life, which is incredible. And I want to talk about it, and I want you to know my philosophy when I talk about money. Your money is your money. It's nobody else's money. It's your money. And you manage it however you want. And so we're not trying to impose on you how you would manage your money, but we want to give you some biblical things about managing money that might help you manage your money better. And all of us want to have more money. So uh, your money's yours, my money's mine. And so we're just going to talk about this and give you some things to look at, but not try to coerce you or manipulate you to do something that you don't want to do. So I want to talk about money because the Bible talks about it. And in, in fact, it is the most talked about subject in the Bible by far. There are 500 verses on prayer in the Bible. Anybody believe in prayer out there? 
Yeah, right? Uh, there are less verses, ver, less verses on faith. How about faith? Absolutely. Okay, it's very important. There are over 2,000 verses that deal with money, giving, and generosity in Scripture. And it, it's such a hard thing for people to talk about, and, and it shouldn't be. It's just, it's just money. And so it's important that we talk about it because the Bible talks about it. And the very first thing I want to point out about money is there is this overarching giant theme that you'll find in scripture through the, from the old Testament all the way through the new. And this is where we're going to begin. Here is the theme. God is the owner. We are the stewards and the managers of his resources. So important to understand. If, if you're looking for a philosophy about money and stuff, God's the owner. We're the stewards. Psalm 24, one says the earth is the Lord's. And everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So the reality is he is the creator of all of this and he owns it. Now, scientists tell us that the earth has been around for billions of years. Now, I know that that takes into account the way they look at that and the way they gauge it. And there's a big discussion there. Uh, I don't really know how old the earth is, whether it's billions or not. I don't know. I do know it is very old. It's, it's a lot longer even than our actual record. We, we have a written record that it goes back over 2,500 years of people. That's pretty amazing. So this has been going on a long, 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 long time. Now, if you were to come to my house, there is a firebox that we have, and it keeps our important papers safe. If you don't have one of those, you need one of those. Uh, very important. And in that safe, you'll find our life insurance stuff, and you'll find our, the deed to our home and the bank. We still owe money on our home. Uh, you'll find all of the titles to all of my vehicles, the last couple years of taxes. There are important documents. And if you look at that, you will find that Matt Morgan owns some stuff. There's some things that my name are on that I own, but I'm only going to be here. In fact, the average life expectancy for an American is 79.8 years. So if all goes well, I'm going to blaze through here in 80 years. I'm going to have some stuff and then it's going to be gone. And who owned it before I got here? God. And who made me? God. So he owns me. And who's going to have it long after I'm gone? God, right? So really, God is the owner, and we are the stewards. The reality is, God does not need me. Doesn't need me at all. I, I don't know if you've ever prayed this prayer. I prayed it, God, if you let me win the lottery, I will tithe. Anybody like that? I mean, okay. God, just let me win. I mean, God doesn't need the lottery. He owns everything already. Like, it's not like you're like going, oh, really? You're actually giving him something here. It's just his already. This, this perspective on money is in the Old Testament and in the New. And in Matthew chapter 25, this is one of my very favorite parables that Jesus teaches on. And he, he would often say, the kingdom of God is like. So if you want to know what the kingdom of God is like, here's what it's like. And he says this, Matthew 25. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately, oh, excuse me, then he went on a journey. I lost my place. How do you like that? 
Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, went and put them to work and earned five more. In the same way, the man who earned two more, that had two, earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, it's the same one. The guy who has 10 now, the guy who has four now. It gets the exact same thing. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied. Now, remember, he gave him back exactly what he had. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with a banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will be in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken from them. And throw this worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this. God owns everything. He's given it to you for a short time. Now, how many people would like more? I want more. It's okay. I do want to make more money. I would, I would like that, okay? He says... God decided to give you what you would start with. How many people are frustrated with what you started with? Like, if I just had more, I wouldn't have any problems, right? But God says, no, I know what your abilities are. I know where you're at. I'm going to give you enough and see what you're going to do with it. If you're going to be faithful with that or not faithful with that. In fact, how did he determine whether they were faithful? If they came back with more. So at the end of our life, God's going to go, I gave you this, what did you do with it? Now, what's really interesting is he says to the guys who multiplied, it didn't matter how much they multiplied, it just mattered that they did something with it. And then he says to the one who did nothing, you're wicked. What was so wicked about what he did? I mean, like, other than he was just lazy. God would say that's wicked. To do nothing with it is wicked. He's the owner. We are the stewards. And if you were to put your possessions and give it to somebody and say, I want you to manage. How many of you have somebody managing, you don't have to raise your hand, your retirement? You kind of want them to make some money with it, right? Like you're expecting that they're going to multiply it. What if they come back and go, well, you know, I buried it. Thanks for giving it to me. Here's your money. Well, wait a minute. I was expecting something a little bit more here. God actually wants us to multiply what he has given us. Now, here's what's interesting. What if you were to take a walk inside the mind of these guys? Okay, like the, the guys that made extra, the guys who didn't. How did they see the owner? 
Like, what was their view of the owner of everything that they were giving? The first two guys, they viewed God as this generous, loving, caring, somebody who's given them all they have. They felt free enough to go, you know what? I'm going to try some stuff. I'm going to invest this. I'm going I'm to be wise. I'm going to use my head here, and I'm going to try it, and I'm going to invest this stuff. The third guy saw God as what? He said, you are a hard man. The third guy saw God as stingy, saw God as greedy, like God wanted more, and, and he just wants your money. How many people feel like church just wants my money? God just wants my money. Actually, God wants you to have more money, but he wants to see if you're faithful with what he gives you. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. It's so important that we would multiply what he's given us. Now, in America, we have something very different here. Do you ever notice that everybody wants more than they have? I do. Okay, everybody wants more than they have. Well, in America, you can do it. It's called fair credit. I've been to countries where it's not fair credit, it's extortion, which, by the way, if you have bad credit, you're being extorted on your credit cards. Huge. Okay, that's just, they're, they're killing it, uh, killing you on it. But I've been to countries where it's even higher, and it's worse, and, and the people can do, the, the lenders can do whatever they want. In America, it's not so bad. In America, you can have more than you can afford, and you can do it by a long shot. It's by credit. And what, where we get in trouble with our money is not because we want to make more, it's because we want to have more. And we want to have more before we've made it. And we're able to do it. Now here's a, 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 an incredible phenomenon about money. Our hearts and our money are deeply connected. Just talking about money makes people feel uncomfortable. Just, just try it sometime. Try what I'm doing here. Try it in your living room with your friends. Hey, let's talk about money. <laughs> People are like, whoa, I don't want to talk. It's very sensitive. Dave Ramsey, who teaches Financial Peace University, he's internationally known. He, he's, on, he's on the radio every single day. If you've never taken Financial Peace, I would take it. We've done it three times. It is amazing. He is one of the most famous guys in America today and really in the world who teaches how to manage money. And Dave says that most couples do not do a budget because they're unable to talk about money. It's so uncomfortable. And I would say, yep, I'm the free spirit. I just want to spend it and have what I want to have. Tina is the nerd. She wants to plan it all out. She wants to talk about it. And I'm like, all that sounds like to me is restriction right? But if you don't manage it, it manages you. There's something very significant about money, and Jesus recognized this in Matthew 6. Matthew 6 says, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in. So this is very interesting. Jesus is saying, on the earth, you can invest in the kingdom of God, and nothing will ever take it away from you. Right. Where here you can lose it. He says, uh, where things break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That is some very interesting way to say something. Where your treasure, if your treasure's here, your heart goes there. He didn't say, 
where your heart is, that's where your money is. Right? He didn't say, hey, here, if, if, wherever your heart is, you feel something, that's where you spend all your money. It's not really true. We actually feel for a lot of stuff, and we don't spend a lot of money. But if you were to invest in stock XYZ today, let's say you put all of your savings in XYZ. You didn't care about XYZ at all yesterday, but today you will. And you will watch it every day. Why? Because your heart cares about where your money is. It's so important. And I've heard preachers say things like, put your money where your mouth is. I think that's rude. I would never say that to you. I think that that is coercion, and Scripture says don't be coerced. And so I don't want to coerce anybody, but it is connected to our heart, and I believe what Scripture is actually teaching is God wants you, He wants to be your, your financial partner. That God really, and I don't know about you, but if you were looking for a partner in business, what would you look for? I would first look for somebody who's super smart. God, check. I would, I would look for somebody who is really wise. God, check. Has a real feel for what's going on and what could go on in the future. God, check. I would look for somebody who has resources to put into the business. God, check, right? I mean, God would be a great business partner. How do you become a partner with God in your money? That's a great question. How do we show God that here I am a partner with you? Now, before we go there, I want to ask you some questions. I ask this to people a lot. Do you think it would be cool if we could eradicate world hunger? That nobody dies of starvation anymore. Do you think it would be amazing if we could cure disease? How about do away with many, if not all, crime? Everybody goes, yes, yes, and yes. How about this? Do you think the church should help the poor in their community? I mean, everybody says yes, right? How about this one? Do you think, the, do you think Christians should be the example of how to be successful with money? Yeah. I do. I mean, like, we really should be. Do you think God has a plan for this? He actually does. I sat down with a friend of mine, and he, he makes a ton of money. He is a neurosurgeon. That's his day job. He, he invests all over the place. I'm like, everything this guy touches, it turns to gold. I'm like, so I, I literally took him to breakfast. He was in our life group and he doesn't talk about his money. He, he, he never does. Um, but I knew it. And I said, I want to take you to breakfast and I want to ask you a question. He says, okay, let's go to breakfast. And so we go to breakfast and I said, listen, everything you touch seems to turn to gold. I wasn't raised with an investing kind of a lifestyle. How do you do what you do? How do you do that? I mean, like, I don't get it because I don't know how to do it. And so we had a pretty long conversation. And my friend said, listen, I am going to tell you what my dad told me. He said, number one, your first 10% goes to God. When you get paid, your first 10%, it's honoring God with your finances. Okay, then he said, your next 10%, you need to save. You're not living on 100%, you're living on 80%. In fact, 
You could actually look at the next 10% as investments, and a lot of people do that as well. And this is, Dave Ramsey even says, I'm like, okay, that, that really makes sense to me. And then my friend said something to me. Like, now, I'm, I'm not saying this. My friend said this to me, and I needed to hear it this way because I'm that hard-headed, okay? So if you're like me, you'll relate to this. If not, you're going to be offended. I don't want you to be offended. And it's my friend who said it, and I needed to hear it. He said, if you spend more than you make, well, that's just stupid. <laughs> and I went, what, what, uh, uh, hold on. Let's, let's look at these, these things that he said to me. First in Malachi, the first 10% goes to God. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of J Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? They're like, what do you mean? We're here. Like, I mean, we're, we're with you. How do we return? Will a mere mortal rob God, he asks. Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful end, says the Lord Almighty. So God says, when we don't give him that, we're stealing from him. Our first year here, we had somebody break into the church down in Warm Beach, and they stole all of our technical equipment. All of it. It was on April 1st. And people were ticked off. I mean, you, how could you steal from a church? And it's interesting because some of the people that were the angriest are people that told me flat out, I don't tithe and I'm not going to tithe and so don't talk to me about it. It was interesting. I was like, okay, that's interesting. You know? And I didn't, I didn't say anything. I'm just like, that's very interesting because it's not that God needs my money. Does he need my money? No. He already has it. But what he wants is what? My heart. What's connected to my heart? Money. So he says, honor me with your first fruits. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. It's the first part, not the last part. It's the best that I have to offer, not the worst that I have to offer. It's interesting to me when somebody gets like a new piano, they'll say, hey, pastor, we have an old piano that we just got a new one. Would you like our old one? I'm like, no, we like the new one. <laughs> or they show up and, you know, we got new dishes this month, and so we're just giving the church our old dishes. No thanks. I mean, really, because God says, I'm gonna, I want your best. Now, there's a difference between a tithe and an offering. A tithe is sacred to God. You do not direct it. It goes to the storehouse, which is the church. You don't direct it. If you've ever given a tithe and the church mismanaged your money and you're like, going, they burned me. Nope, that church burned God. We're very careful how we manage our money because it is his. And not just that part that's given, it's all his. And so if you trusted God, you trusted God. What people do, it's a bummer, but people do get burned in that area. But that doesn't mean I don't give it to God. An offering is what I direct. 
So if I want to give money which, to Open Arms, which I do, you saw a video on that, Tina and I, we support Open Arms by ourselves, plus give to missions, because we, we think missions is important. And if I want to give money to the food closet or, or the food blessing, I can do that because I'm, I'm passionate about it. But it's, it's a directed offering. It's above and beyond the tithe. Now you might go, you talked about eradicating world hunger, disease, and crime. Has there ever been a time when, like, this hunger thing has really worked? Has there ever been a time? Actually, it has. In 2 Chronicles, look at this. As soon as the order went out. Now, it's important because tithing actually began as an act of worship. It didn't begin as the law. It began as an act of worship. When it was give, making a law, as soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, olive oil, and honey, and all that the fields produced. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. The people of Israel and Judah who lived in the town of Judah also brought a tithe of their herds and flocks and a tithe of the holy things dedicated to the Lord their God. And they piled them up in heaps. The heaps were so large, they had to store it. They had to make places for storage. They had to hire a team of people to manage it. All of Israel was fed, and they began to give it away to the surrounding nations. That is amazing. What we do with our talent, what we do with our time, what we do with our treasure, it matters to God. Now, here's what's interesting. American Christians are the richest Christians in the world. Less than 20% of us tithe. If we did, we actually could pay for world hunger in America. You're like going, no way. Oh yeah, let me give you an example. At Life Church 360, which we, I don't look at what people give. I, just, I choose not to do that. But I ask the, the bookkeeper, could you tell me what it looks like for how many different families, people, if you will, give to Life Church 360? It looks like a tithe. Tell me the percentage of that. It's 13%. If you then multiplied what they, their average to how many people actually attend here, we would have an extra $5 million a year. Just this church. Imagine all the other churches. America could do something significant, and God is just asking, do you trust me? I want to return to Matthew 6. Jesus is on a roll here. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your, eyes are, if, your eyes are, if your eyes are healthy, it'll be full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, a lot of people really mess up the interpretation of this. Okay? They're thinking, well, if you like money, and if you make money, and you have money, then you must love it. And your eyes must be dark, and you are a dark person because you have money. That's not what this is saying. This is saying you can't serve God and serve money. This is not saying that you can't have money. That is way, way off. Why would Jesus tell a whole parable 
about you multiplying your resources and then say, don't do it. That's not, doesn't make any sense, right? Jesus is saying you can't serve one and then serve the other. It's not possible. So how do you know if you're serving money or serving God? From a biblical perspective, it's the next thing that my friend said. In fact, it's, it's the last thing he said. If you spend more than you make, that's stupid. It's your debt. Now, does the Bible say you can't have debt? It does not say that. It says not for, for lenders to, to abuse that. It actually, you, you can have it. It's not sinful, but the Bible expects you to pay it back. Like, you have to pay it back. There is no, like, bankruptcy court in biblical days. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. I've been a slave to the lender before. Where, you know, where your paycheck's gone before you ever get it? And at the end of the month, you're totally out because you paid your bills, and you have nothing left. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Boy, I have been a fool at times with money. Even after taking financial peace, that's why I've taken it three times. Thank you for laughing at me. Here's the deal. You could tithe and still be broke. I have people that say that all the time. They go, man, I tried it. Didn't work. Well, it's because you're thinking if I just keep borrowing, God will just keep paying the bill. He actually expects us to manage it and to multiply it. What if we showed up in heaven at the end of the day today? And he said, what'd you do? Well, I, I, got, I, I got this really nice truck. Payment's only six fifty a month. And I've got this, my, mom, my wife's got a really nice car, and payment on that's only $4.50 a month. And our credit cards are a little bit high because, you know, we got that, that TV thing with the surround and, you know, and new furniture because we were really uncomfortable. And uh, we took that trip, you know, and I mean, like, but, you know, I mean, it was really fun. And so uh, here, here's the bill, God. Uh, thank you for what you gave me. Here's the bill. I don't have anything to give you back, but here's the bill. What would he say to that? The guy who gave him back, I mean, what would he say to that. Here's the deal. God wants you to be a financial partner with him. I believe that with all my heart. It starts by honoring him with the first and the best. It's not about the money. It's about the heart. Second, it starts with saving some after that. My friend said, after you save 10% for a while, then invest it in something that will make you money. And then you take the money that you made from that and you invest it in something else that will make you money. And I got to tell you, I have talked to lots of people because I'm, I'm a big believer in the theory of praxis, which means ask somebody who does something well how they do it and then do it. I, I have asked many people who have resources how they do it. And there's a theme. I honor God first, I save, I invest, I do it again. And it really will help you, but it starts with this idea of, 
I'm giving God my best. The eye is the lamp of the body in Matthew 6. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? That's the hardest one for me. Because I go buy something shiny and fast and I go, I want that. I need that. And in the past, I would just finance it and spend more than I make. And then what do we say to God? Well, you know, I would tithe. I just can't afford it. Nope. I just didn't manage it well. I want to pray for you. I, I, I know that like what we're talking about here is such a radical step of faith. Americans, they refinance their house every three to five years to pay off their debt. Some even more than that. Many people are doing that right now because the value has gone so high. All that does is make you pay for your truck for 30 years rather than six. And it really hurts. God wants you to have more money. And I really believe with all my heart, start by being faithful, save, and invest. Don't spend everything you have. Live on less, and God says you'll have more. If you'll, it's a step of faith. Radical step. Now, a lot of people, when they choose to do their tithe, this is, I love, I, I just love technology when it comes to this stuff. Some people, like we just set up the tithe as an automatic. Just boom, comes out. Why? Because we know what it's going to be. Now, if you're on commission or it changes, that's not going to happen. But people will give it electronically because it saves the church money and it's faster and it's easier. And it's the first thing that happens, not the last thing. Then you got to figure out, how do I take out enough of my standard of living to do this and to save and then to invest? If you will, get out of debt, you'll have more money. And if you'd like help with this, take financial peace. If you want to give today, you can. If you haven't already started giving, don't do it because of this message. You should not do by compulsion or should by coercion. Go home, pray about this. Talk about it. Think about it. Make a conscious decision that you could do it with joy because the Bible says that we, he loves a joyful giver. Scripture says that we all should decide what we should do. I don't want to decide that for you. So go home and pray this week. But if you want to give, you can give. You can text to give. You can give online. You can give on the way out the door. People still send in a check because a lot of people still have a checking account. So you can do that if you want. But you guys, I love you. I want you to have more money. Jesus, we need you. And we love you. And I pray for anybody here right now who is just wrestling with this. They, they've, they've been wrestling for a long time. And they hear Malachi and they go, God, I know that I've been doing that. And right now they could just say, God, will you forgive me? I'm going to give you my best. And God, will you also forgive me for overspending and spending everything I have, not saving anything or, or even worse, getting into debt for it. And then all of it's gone before I even get it. I pray, God, you'd help us to, to manage our money well. And if you feel like you need to ask God for that, he says, if you ask him for wisdom, he will give you wisdom. So, Lord, we ask for wisdom. Give us wisdom in managing what you gave us. And help us, God.
because we want to show up in heaven and hear you say, well done, well done. Enter into my glory. You've been faithful with a little. I'm going to be, give you a whole lot more. God, we need you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.